This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, there's a reminder that we're about to move into spring and hallelujah. The calendar this year says it's March 20. Well, I always thought it was the 21st, but anyway, who needs a calendar when you have those birds? You know what? And I should know, because that's where I am today, guys. Out with the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above and a thing called the Talk of Fame Network. Gooseman, I always thought hearing birds, not the birds, but birds, sing was the surest sign of spring. How about you? Well, we have birds chirping around here all year long, so if it's not spring here, it must be summer. <laughs> Any birds outside the Borges household? Yes, indeed. But I am waiting for the return of a bright red cardinal who always appears about this time of year. Uh, He's like better than a meteorologist. He knows when the last, maybe it's a she actually, but they know when the last snow has fallen and that beautiful red cardinal shows up and uh, hovers in the trees right in my backyard and uh, it's one of the happy chirping sounds. That's not Josh Rosen, is it? Hey, how about that He's a hockey card. team, Ronnie? Say again? Is that, is that coming out of hibernation this spring? Hey, we're in the semifinals of the Valley League playoffs on Saturday morning. Tune in on uh, on LiveBarn.com. You can get it and watch us in action. We're, we'll do that. I'm not sure who well, our opponent is, but good luck to them because they'll need <laughs> Good luck is right. Well, we have the Grizzlies, we have Daylight Savings Time, we have Spring, and we'll have baseball in a little over a week. So we're moving forward. And we're moving forward this week with Hall of Fame General Manager Bill Pullian and former Detroit running back Billy Sims. We're also here from Hall of Fame voter Gary Myers on the state of New York in the wake of the OBJ and Le'Veon Bell signings, as well as get Rick's Arizona State All-NFL Team. And Gooseman, I guess another sign of spring has to be the euphoria that's expressed in all but a couple cities, probably New England and Miami, over all those frees and signings that you for that sometimes, okay, often, leads to dyspepsia. Yeah, that's right, Ron, dyspepsia. Dyspepsia, wow. What do you think of that, Goose? Uh, yeah, the player signing the first ticket for age becomes salary cap casualties waiting to happen. The bigger the name, the bigger the contract, the more likely to go. Domicon Sue, Molly Jackson, six-year deals, none of them got into the fourth year. They all got cut. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to hit on a couple of those free agents, along with other news of the week as we continue moving forward. But first, listen to this. This is Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, like most people, uh, we've been talking about free agency the past week, and I just noted that free agent quarterback Nick Foles is signed, not by Jacksonville, but by Lululemon, the sports apparel brand that just made him its first mainstream sport athlete endorser. Now, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know much about Lulu. I guess it's Lululemon. Lululemon? I don't know. Other than the hit stocks over the past years. But it sure seemed like a smart deal for them and for Nick Foles, who, Goose, by the way, is cashing in on his Super Bowl MVP one year later. Yeah, this group, Lululemon, specializes in yoga wear. So if the Jaguars protect Foles like like they protected Black Bortles over the years, they find himself on the ground in a seated position a lot. So this is a good move by him. (laughs) 
<laughs> like it. Sounds like Gooseman's been to Lululemon. He knows a lot about it. Hey, Ron, what do you think happens to Foles now he's out of Philadelphia? I mean, is the pressure off or is it on because he's got to live up to a big contract, which could be tough, or not be Blake Bortles, which may not be so tough? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, uh, uh, he'll never feel as much pressure, I don't believe, as he's going to be feeling this season because uh, – uh, if he ends up being a, a Lulu of a lemon, there's not enough endorsement money in the world to take the heat off of him from the fans, the media, and internally within the team. Tom Coughlin up his butt. Uh, that's where the biggest pressure will come. You know, it's not like Earl Morrill in Baltimore and Miami. This is a different time and place. You know, you got anti-social media attacking you all, him and his family, and he'll be called a fraud and a bust or worse. And, uh, and, and he won't be Blake Portals because he'll, he'll be the quarterback who, who uh, didn't earn the money. You know, I mean, yeah, right. It's, it's right. a bad, it's a tough situation for him, I think. Well, let's go to some other quarterback situations, Ron. We have Miami releasing Ryan Tannehill and then signing your favorite quarterback, the Amish Rifle, a.k.a. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was released by yeah, Tampa Bay. Now, quick question. Is this a tank for Tua move? I mean, can, what? can you see? Yeah. Can you see them moving on from Tannehill, meaning Miami, but from Fitzmagic? It makes no sense. So would you explain it for me? I mean, they're tank for Tua, right? Hey, the Amish rifle, unlike Daniel, has had his moments. And at the moment, he's cheaper. He comes with less baggage and not the stink of failure that, uh, you know, that odor of smell around uh, Tannehill because of where they drafted him. Look, they both have losing records as starters. They both have had one winning season as a starter. Uh, but here's the truth. One can help you do your taxes. You can help your kids do their math homework. And the other kid's named Tannehill. Easy choice. Yeah, Fitzpatrick had he had three four yard games last year. He can go out and win games with his arm if he doesn't throw the interceptions. If they can keep the interceptions down, they can be competitive. I guess you're both telling me no, it's not a tank for Tua, but I see well of fame voter in front of the show, that'd be Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald called it, quote, the nuclear option, unquote, and said there can no longer be any doubt. The Dolphins are going to run. Just lose, baby. <laughs> what do you think, Gooseman? Yeah, what a surprise. You know, the Dolphins have lost all the years when they've been trying to win, so this should be a smooth transition. <laughs> but hey, this is a franchise that could not win a Super Bowl with Dan Marino. I'm not sure Tool or anyone else can be the answer in Miami. <laughs> okay, let's move on from Tua to the OBJ trade. Now, we dissected Antonio Brown here last week. Odell Beckham Jr. followed him through the outdoor going to Cleveland, and there's a pattern here, Ronnie. Uh, we've got two high-talented but emotional wideouts who became distractions and eventually were dumped because basically their team's beliefs in addition by subtraction. And I don't know, to me, it sounds an awful lot like a wide receiver we just put in Canton. How about you? Ah, come on, leave him alone. You may not like him, but T.O. is better than both of these guys we'll ever think of being. Uh, you know, look, he played his way into the Hall of Fame, period. Let's leave him alone. Brown may get there himself. Beckham isn't even close. Uh, Antonio Brown has been one of the two or three best wideouts in the game. He, is he a pain in the, in the buttocks? Yeah, a lot of these guys are. But OBJ is nowhere near Antonio Brown in terms of production. Uh, the latter guy once made a catch that no one will ever get, forget. But if OBJ doesn't do something in Cleveland, they will forget him and soon. And, but before they do, they will be throwing bones at him from the dog pound. <laughs> so, Goose, who's the bigger risk here? Brown or OBJ? I say Brown because I think Beckham and the Browns are going to contend for a playoff spot. I can't say the same for the Raiders. The Davis at Wido want the ball 
and they want to win. You need to hit that daily double to keep them happy. And for that reason, I think Brown should be a little higher maintenance this season than Beckham. Yeah, I think it's the other way. I think it's OBJ. Look, Brown has shown you what he can do. You know, say what you want about him. He's a five-time first-team All-Pro. OBJ, Beckham has never been an All-Pro anything. It's that by Yapper. Uh, you know, and he has been in the Pro Bowl in three years. You can blame the Giants for that. You can blame Eli Manning for that. But in the end, Beckham seems more likely to me to be a shooting star than a real one. A lot of pressure on that young man. If it doesn't work out for A.B., he just blames the Raiders like everybody else. <laughs> Except for you. Um, <laughs> hey, Ron, I, I, I know there are some people in New York, and we'll have one, on them, one of them on here shortly, but uh, who believe that uh, this is a, a move that makes basically an apparent that the Giants are saying, uh, Wait a minute, hold on, Miami. We're tanking for two or two. You believe it? Well, how could how could you tell the difference whether they're tanking or not? The way they've been playing the last you know few years. Yeah, they stink. Uh, yeah, they stink exactly. So I mean, now see now you can get out when you stink this year. You you can get a, uh, an out and say you were tanking. And when you stunk last year, you just stunk. Uh, but you know, this would assume for them to be tanking, it would assume a the Giants have a plan, and there's no evidence that they do. B the Tua is Elway or Tua is Peyton, and if you're taking uh, if you're uh, uh, taking Tua to solve your problems, those problems are going to be around for a long time. Goose, you taking Tua at Wana? <laughs> no, I think uh, I think there's a potential speed bump for the Giants on the way or on the road to Tua, and that's the Washington Redskins. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I agree. You've got to be worse than the Redskins who are coming into the season with Case Keenum. And at least the Giants have a guy that's got two Super Bowl rings in his hand. So you're telling me the Redskins, Washington's going to be first in war, first in peace, and last in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway. There's a signal that we've got a Hall of Fame case, just a Hall of Fame case about to be made by somebody, not somebody is, the guy you just heard from, Rick Gosselin, who wrote this week on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, about Dick, no, not Todd or Bill, Haley, Dick Haley. Gooseman, you like his chances for the Hall of Fame? You want to tell us about him? Yes, sir. I've always believed that in a salary cap world, the most important guy in an NFL building is a guy who finds the players. The establishment of a contributor committee by the Pro Football Hall has opened the doors for those men who build those championship teams. So you got former NFL GMs Bobby Beathard and Bill Polin and Ron Wolf. They all have bust on Ken, as does former personnel director Gil Brandt of the Cowboys. It's time the Hall Selection Committee addresses another difference maker in personnel, and that's Dick Haley, whose draft set the stage for the Pittsburgh Steelers winning four Super Bowls in the 1970s. He presided over arguably the greatest draft in NFL history in 1974. Haley drafted Lynn Swan, Jack Lambert, John Stovett, and Mike Webster with his first four picks of that draft. All became Hall of Famers. Four picks, four home runs. In his first draft in 1971, the Steelers had seven players who would start the team's first Super Bowl in 1974, including Hall of Famer Jack Hams. Ham. The Steelers had yet another Super Bowl starter, safety Glenn Edwards, as an undrafted college free agent that year. Haley drafted a fifth Hall of Famer with his first-round pick in 1972 in Franco Harris. And he drafted two more Hall of Famers with first-round picks in the 80s. Cornerback Ron Woods in 1987 and center Damani Dawson in 1988. Haley moved down to the New York Jets in 1991 and built a team for Bill Parcells that allowed the Jets to reach the AFC Championship game for the first time in 16 years in 1998. During his 12 seasons, climbed the shots in the New York War Room. 
you know, he drafted nine more Pro Bowl players, and one of them, John Abraham, is a member of the 100 Sack Club and a Hall of Fame candidate for the first time in 2020. Had it not been for Haley's promise in April, Chuck Noll may not have enjoyed the success he had in January. Noll now has a, has a Boston Cannon. The Steelers have four Lombardi trophies in the trophy case. It's time for the Hall of Fame selection committee to visit the candidacy of Dick Haley and shine a light on one of the NFL's best drafters. Okay, Gooseman, Bill Nunn, Buckle Kilroy, or Dick Haley? You put one of them in. Only one of them was an all-decade player, so as a contributor, i got to go with Bucko. I like oh, wow, okay. Well, I, like that I don't know if Dick Haley's going to the Hall, Gooseman, but we will. Yeah, with our next guest, that'd be Hall of Fame voter Gary Myers. He's coming up next on the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, while the first wave of free agency is over, a lot of people are still talking about what's gone down in New York. And you know what? What's gone down, other that is than the Yankees' Dellen Batances and Luis Severino, um, is that the Giants got rid of Odell Beckham Jr. and the Jets added free agent running back Le'Veon Bell. Those are two blockbuster moves that people wondering, what in the world is going on in New York? And you know what? You know, just the guy to ask. That'd be Hall of Fame voter Gary Myers of The Athletic, and he's with us today. Gary, which of these two moves registered more on the Richter scale of Manhattan? OBJ or Le'Veon Bell? Oh, Clark, it's not even close. I know. It's OBJ, right? Okay. Oh, it's in a landslide. You know, Bell was a great signing for the Jets, and they got him at reasonable dollars. But if you listen to the talk shows in New York and read the papers, you know, he's been relegated to second string here. The Beckham story is it's had a long shelf life, and it's not likely to end anytime soon. Yeah, well, the amazing thing was those both happened the same day. I mean, there was so much going on in New York that day, and you had Le'Veon Bell and OBJ, and there were a couple other things. I think the Yankees might have had something going on, the Mets may, but there were so many things going on that, you're right, Le'Veon Bell kind of got pushed to, not the back page, um, but because if you're on the back page, that's where you want to be, but right. he got pushed to the uh, um, inside pages and, and sort of got lost. But the huge, that's a huge signing for the, the Jets. I mean, huge signing, period, for anyone. Yeah, without question, um, they, they need to surround Sam Darnold with, with firepower and, and, and take the pressure off of him. And, and, and Bell was clearly in the best running back available and might have been the best player available in all, in free, in all of free agency. And the Jets really did get him for reasonable dollars, you know, relatively speaking. Now the issue is um, having sat out a year without help or hurt him, Will his, you know, ultra patient running style work behind an offensive line with the Jets that not as clearly is not as good as what he had in in Pittsburgh? But I, I just think he, he's a great player, and um, and and he'll be of tremendous assistance to Darnold and to the Jets' offense. He's a really good receiver coming out of the backfield. He always seems to be open, and the, the Jets are building something here, which you can usually do when you have a hundred million dollars in cap room. <laughs> But, we could do it. But <laughs> we as, as, do it. We've learned over, as we've learned over the years, really, you can't buy a Super Bowl. Right. And uh, I'm not sure you can even buy your way into the playoffs. So they're going to have to make it all work. And there's a lot of pressure on, on Mike McCagnan, um, the Jets GM, who, who survived when Todd Bowles got fired. And with all this cap room and the third pick in the draft, um, I really think anything short of 
the Jets making it as a wild card team in 2019 will be judged as a incredible disappointment for them. Gary, let's bring the pendulum back to the Giants and that big story mm-hmm. that everyone's talking about. Uh, how surprised were you that they traded Beckham away, especially in light of the contract that they gave him last August? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the reason I was surprised, is that if they were going to trade him, you figure it would be before they paid him $21 million for playing only 12 games last year. That it, it really, I can't remember another situation like this in all the years that I've covered the NFL where a team signs a player to such a huge contract, um, and then seven months later, they send them away. It's almost as if the, Jets, the Giants' $21 million that they paid Beckham last year is the cost of getting the 17th pick in the draft because this money that they paid, they paid him the $20 million signing bonus, which, as far as I know, was non-refundable, and, and they didn't get much out of him, so it cost them a lot of money to, to sign Beckham, and then now he's with Cleveland, and the Giants have that first-round pick that turned out to be, you know, very, it not only cost them Beckham, but the, the $21 million they spent for him to play 12 games last year. So I, I, was, I was really surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised at all if they had traded him prior to signing the contract. But to, to shell out that kind of money and then take a $16 million salary cap hit along with it, it's got to be an unprecedented move in this era of free agency. Gary, there was someone in New York recently tweeted about the Giants. They're, quote, now the Browns of 2016, 2017. And I think that someone was you, my friend. Uh, so No, 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 no. I, I said they were the Miami Marlins. <laughs> there you go. That's even worse. My God. So why do you think that? Why do you, why do you see it well, that way? And do they know what they're well, doing? Do they actually have a plan? Because I don't think they do. I, I, no, I mean, Gettleman was asked that when he had his conference call on Monday morning about his plan. It was basically, I have a plan, but I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> that, that's pretty much what he said. And uh, maybe the reason he doesn't want to tell us what the plan is is because he doesn't have one. <laughs> the, the reason I, I said they were like the Miami Marlins, if you look at it, <clears throat> what they've done since the trading deadline last year is, you know, they they got rid of Eli Apple and, and, and Snacks Harrison, and, and now they just let Landon Collins walk for free. And they traded Olivier Vernon, who, along with Harrison and Janoris Jenkins a few years ago, were their big free agent signings. So they got rid of them, and then they traded Beckham. I mean, they've gotten rid of all their big-name players, except for the 38-year-old quarterback that they seem to be building around. Um, and this has become a, a pretty much of a, a no-name team, except for, except for the quarterback and, and, and Saquon Barkley. And... Um, I'm just, you know, I'm just really surprised at what's happened to the Giants. Considering in 2016, they won 11 games and they were a pretty good team. And so I was their plan, Gary. Is their plan tanky for Tua? Is that their plan? I say it again. Is their plan tanky for Tua? Is that what their plan is? Well, I'll tell you after the draft if they don't take a quarterback, then they're tanking for Tua. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're they're quite tearing it apart. And being so obvious as, say, the Dolphins are, because, the, you know, the, the Dolphins sign the ultimate quarterback that you want when you want to try to stay respectable in most games, but you don't want to win, and that's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh, Ron's favorite guy. You take it easy, the Amish rifle. Come on now. 
No, and I, I like Ryan a lot. I mean, I love the time that he's with the Jets. He was great to talk to, but you know, let's face it, his career is kind of running the cycle where he plays, plays well, gets a new contract, gets the starting job, then he stinks and gets cut, winds up with another team, plays well for a little bit, gets a new contract. You know, it's, he's, he's just good enough to lose, I would say. And um, so I, I would say the Dolphins are in full tanking mode. Um, I'm not sure that the Giants are because. You know, Gettleman was insistent that you can rebuild and win at the same time, and he's pointing out that they won five games last year and a dozen of the games were decided by a touchdown or less. I mean, those are stats for losers. Um, I think that Giant, if they don't take a quarterback in this draft, then I think Giant fans would just assume that they wind up with the first pick next year so then they can have their choice of quarterbacks. Because if they don't take one this year, they absolutely have to take one next year. Uh, unless, of course, they want to wait for the kid from Clemson. In a few more years, you keep putting it off. Eli would be 45, and they'll be saying, this will be the year they can take a quarterback. <laughs> really? You know, it's funny, Gary, you, you mentioned that thing about uh, 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 Gettleman saying you know, how many games he lost by a touchdown or less. First-year Parcells first was in, in New England. Somebody said, some media guy said that to him, and he looked like, you know, he just caught the guy using his toothbrush, and he goes, everybody is lost by a touchdown or less. <laughs> Yeah. That's what it is. It means you're a loser if you lose all those games by a touchdown. Win. That's right. And, and Bill's on, you know, it's, it's trite but true, but you are what your record says you are. Right. And the reason you lose those games by a touchdown or less or, or whatever stat he happens to use yesterday, he was trying to make a point that the Giants were competitive. Well, they weren't good enough to close out games, and their defense was terrible. And, and they like to say now that, well, the offensive line got better. Uh, the last month of the season, and Eli got better. But <laughs> listen, the first game of the two, 2017 season was, and I've seen almost every game Eli's played, the first game of the 17th season in Dallas was the first time I ever saw him curl up in a ball and hit the deck when the pass rush was still three yards away. And, and I've been told so many times over the years by football people who are way smarter than me, not as smart as you, Ron, but just way smarter than me. <laughs> that the first time a quarterback goes down like that, it's a clear indication he doesn't trust his offensive line. And whether or not the offensive line ever gets better, he'll be gun-shy for the rest of his career. That's because true. once you have it ingrained in your head that you're not going to get protected, it never leaves you. And that's what Eli's been now for almost two consecutive seasons. He does not trust the line. And for good reason, the line's been terrible. Right. But I just think he's... He's gun shy. He's worn out, and um, and he's past the point of having declining skills. Um, the Giants can try to sugarcoat it all they want, but I don't. I don't know what tape they're watching, and I don't know what games they're watching. I just don't think Eli is any good anymore. Well, you know, you can't take those kind of beatings, as you know, Gary. And, and uh, uh, you know, even if you're a young guy, and I saw Plunkett sort of bounce back from that. You know, when he came yeah. over to the Raiders. Uh, but he sat for a whole year, you know, and he watched Art Shell and Gene Upshaw and was going to say, geez, those guys are pretty good. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I saw him in San Francisco after he left New England. My God, I mean, he was ducking coming out of the huddle. And, uh, uh, you know, and I couldn't really blame him. Uh, you know, quick question about the Jets. I'll tell you this. Oh, I just want to ask one quick question about the Jets, though. Uh, yeah, you know, we talked about Bell a lot, but, but they, you know, they added Mosley, too, which is another big ticket item. Mm-hmm. Um how much have they narrowed the gap, if at all, with New England? That's well, all that I can answer that question with a question. Yeah. If you can tell me that Brady is finally going to show his age, then the Jets have narrowed the gap. 
Mm-hmm. But if Brady is going to continue to win the division really easily, and in most cases, you know, because they're never a wild card team, right. they always get the first round by. And so you get to January, and they're two games away from the Super Bowl every year. And so if Brady is still Brady, then the, the Jets, you know, I think they've taken a step past the Dolphins and the Bills, but I, I just don't think that anybody's winning that division until Brady leaves. Belichick could leave and they still win the division. Brady leaves and not. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Hey, Gary, we got to run, but enjoyed it as always. Thanks very much. Okay, guys, always a pleasure. Thanks, Gary. Take care. That's Hall of Fame voter Gary Myers up next. It's Hall of Fame GM Bill Pulley. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're over halfway through the first season of the Alliance of American Football League, which continued to make news this past week with the addition of Johnny Manziel. And I don't know what that means for the Alliance, but I do know someone who does, and that's league co-founder, good friend of ours, and Hall of Fame general manager, Bill Holian. Bill, thanks so much for joining us again. Glad to do it. We have to be with you. So first things first here, the addition of Johnny Manziel I just mentioned. It's a big name on someone who can and will put people in the seats and really, frankly, in front of the TV. I, I know he's happy to have somewhere to play. How happy are you and the Alliance to have him? Well, you know, our, our position is that we exist in order to give lots of players a second opportunity to prove themselves and ultimately make it in the National Football League. That's why we put the so-called NFL out in our contracts. If a player gets a uh, bona fide chance to go to the NFL, God bless him. We can send him with our seven, our seven blessings, best wishes, and hope that he has a long career. So um, that's what we're here for. And if anybody needs a second chance, it's Johnny. That's for sure. So yeah, that's uh, right. We're we're happy to give it to him, and we'll see how it works out. Okay. Well, as I mentioned, you're a Hall of Fame GM, as everybody knows. Straightforward question: If you were taking on Johnny Manziel as your quarterback. What does he need to get himself back to the NFL? And do you think, from what you know of him, that he can play in the NFL? I think he can play in the NFL. What he needs to do is get a handle on his life. That's the bottom line. Uh, He has to make sure that he's got his life in order. He's got to make sure that uh, he's doing the right things in terms of getting the most out of his ability. He needs to make sure that he's uh, concentrating on the job at hand and not getting caught up in all of the uh, falderall and, uh, and, and publicity that he's generated throughout his career. Um, if he does that, he's got a chance to play in the NFL because he's a naturally gifted passer and he's, and he's quite a good runner. So, uh, you know, he was Kyler Murray in a bigger body long before Kyler Murray. So uh, and he's got talent. There's no two ways about that. The question is, can he harness it and be in a position where he can make the best use of it? Let's go to the Alliance uh, for a minute, if we can, uh, Bill. Uh, halfway through the season, um, how would you grade how things have gone overall, better than you expected, about what you expected? Um, better than we expected. Uh, you know, when you're getting crowds of, uh, of, of, of 20,000 plus in, in four of our, and, and close to 30 
probably more than that in, in San Antonio when it's all said and done. Um, that that's that was well beyond our expectations. Um, the, the quality of play has been high. Uh, defensive play, as you might expect, has been quite outstanding. Um, quarterbacking has gotten better over time. Uh, receiving, uh, catching the ball isn't as good as I'd like it to be, and uh, that's why we have juggling machines. <laughs> we got to work hard to have these guys get get better at catching the football. Um, but overall, um, you know, when you when you figure you get started and get up and running in nine months, which is what we were charged to do. Um, it's been, you know, far better than, than I thought it would be. Bill, you mentioned several things there. Um, if I were to ask you to pick out one as the most unexpected surprise, what would it be? Uh, I think as, as how well the defenses have played. I mean, we, we've got some guys who can rush the passer. We've got some big physical guys who knock you around. We've got linebackers and, and, and corners and safeties that can run and hit – um, it, you know, if you looked or watched the game in person and and saw the the intensity and the and the physicality involved, it, it's just like the NFL. It, it doesn't lack for one uh, uh, one minute, one iota of of, of difference. Uh, the real difference is speed on the outside, as I said, and as I said before, the ability to catch the ball. And our quarterbacks haven't been as accurate as the NFL, for sure. Um, but they're getting better. They're getting better. Yeah, four years ago in Ken, you described uh, for us, uh, sort of outlined, uh, really what's become the alliance. Uh, so you were ahead of your time as usual, uh, which is always a good thing. So I'm just wondering uh, what you've seen uh, in the five weeks, how close as is the alliance to the developmental league that you envisioned back then? I think it's pretty close, actually. Um, we had a, a good number of uh, practice squad players come into the league. Uh, we had uh, 81% of our players had been in an NFL camp before. Uh, our uh, ability to allocate players geographically uh, turned out to be a spectacular success. Uh, almost all of the you know, teams are really evenly balanced. Uh, the only differential is quarterback play, and, and in some cases that's driven by injury. Uh, San Diego's number one quarterback went down, so you know, they're a little less than I think they expected to be offensively. Um, so I think from that perspective, everything we envisioned came true. If we could get more practice squad players... Uh, coming off their practice squad year in the NFL. That would make us all the stronger. And obviously, at every level of football, you need quarterbacks. And so, you know, we have to go find some. That's that's the challenge going forward. Do you need the NFL to, to step in and sort of wrap their arms around the whole uh, thing? Or, or do you think you can find enough outside investors to... Uh, make oh, I think we can find outside investors. I don't think that's the problem. Um, you know, the NFL, th- there are a lot of hurdles to the NFL, as you say, wrapping their arms around any uh, alternative league. And, um, you know, the first is the Players Association. The second is uh, various laws and things of that nature. Um, so that's going to take time. You can't count on that. You can't take that to the bank and say, 
hey, we know that the NFL really likes us. They may or may not, but the bottom line is uh, there's a there's a, a, a long road before you could get the kind of cooperation that exists in the D-League, for example, in the NBA. That would be ideal, uh, but there's a way to go before that could even be considered. And as a result, we have to have the individual staying power to make it. But that said, if you sat in the stadium in Orlando last week or Birmingham in the previous week, where ironically enough, both home teams lost, um, you know, there's real excitement there. And if you watch the game on television, as you stated, uh, you know, graciously earlier in the show, um, it's exciting. It's professional football and good professional football. So we've got something to offer. So, Bill, because Ron mentioned the NFL, I, I would like to ask you about a story that appeared, I would guess, two weeks ago or so, which you were prominently mentioned. But how real is the prospect of the Alliance sharing younger players with the NFL as a sort of minor league? And, and if it is, have you discussed the idea with the NFLPA? Uh, no, we've not discussed it with, to any great degree, really, with anyone. Um, everyone talks about the philosophy and the concept and it's sound, and and it's it's right, and uh, we'd love to have it. But uh, as they say, uh, as the saying goes, many a, a slip twixt cup and lip. So um, <laughs> you know, we got we got work to do, and, and we've got to do it ourselves. We have to prove ourselves worthy of having that discussion. I'd say we're probably halfway there, but but we've got to have the staying power. That's the most important thing. Skip over to sort of uh, the period of the season I hate the most, free agency period, because it seems that's where smart <laughs> people go to get stupid. You know I mean? How do you look at this first sort of week? Are you as incredulous as, as we are sometimes? I look at some of these numbers, and I just go, like, for who? For that guy? Um, what do you make of it all? You used to be in the middle. Well, yeah, I used to reluctantly and, and with the same kind of approach as you look at it. Um, <laughs> First of all, people need to understand free agency. Uh, the better, the, the best players are not free. They're franchised. Right. Now, the union doesn't like that, and, and, and they're probably going to want to change it some in the next collective bargaining agreement. But until that time, the, the best players are not on the market. And so the A players are frozen. The B players uh, are getting A money. And and that doesn't make you know <laughs> it doesn't make for uh, thrilling uh, outcomes if you're if you're pure football people like you you and I are so the the the, the bottom line is this is a lot of this is much ado about nothing and a lot of money spent on on guys that really won't perform and if you look at the or won't perform up to the the, the standard uh, that people expect commensurate with the money. And Cousins is the is the perfect example of that. Uh, he actually performed uh, more poorly in Minnesota than he did in Washington. That's understandable. The history of free agency is that the first year of free agent moves, especially a big free agent, he doesn't have the year that people uh, expect. We'll see how Cousins just does this coming year, having settled in and all, all the notoriety being away from him. Uh, but but the but the the other bottom line, and it's really important, is that if you sign a guy who's 26 or 27 or 28 years old to a five-year contract, you're going to eat 
two of those years as a club. He, he's not going to perform at a high level. He's just he's, for for any more than three or four years. So there, you're overpaying in free agency on the front end in cash and on the back end on cap charge. You know, in that regard, Bill, I just want to mention because I've seen it now two years in a row. I've seen the the Patriots, in my opinion, slightly above average left tackle. Uh, become the highest paid offensive lineman in football. Uh, you know, was Solda last year, and it's uh, Trent Brown this year. And, uh, and and I admit, look, I spent a lot of my career around guys like Art Shell and people like that, so who were you know, Hall of Fame players. But I just look at him and say, how on earth does any football guy look at that guy and say, we're going to make him the highest paid lineman? In football. Well, it's no different than saying that Kirk Cousins is the highest or was the highest paid quarterback. Mm-hmm. The, it, he, it's simply a function of the marketplace. That's why Gene Upshaw fought so hard for free agency after four years. He recognized that it would bait the hook enough to force people to pay incredible amounts of money for scarce positions, i.e. left tackle and quarterback. And then that would drive the market for everybody else. Once the B player got A-plus money, then the A player comes in and knocks on the door and says, where's mine? I'm twice the player that guy uh, that, that, that just got all this money is. And that's exactly what has happened. So uh, when you look at the money, it has no bearing and no relation to the player's um, ability. It, it relates only to the market at the time and the fact that people are out there and willing to spend money. And then the, 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 the idea that teams could carry cap money over from year to year was maybe one of the worst things that ever got in the collective bargaining agreement because it's highly inflationary. And so now we see a $188 million cap with people having, you know, 70 and 80 and $90 million in cap space. My God, during my time as a general manager, that was unheard of. Right. Yeah. Hey, Bill, we've got to run, but thanks so much. They for feel constrained. Always, always an education. Always an education. <laughs> Best of luck with the rest of the season. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Bill. See ya. You got it, Bill. That was Hall of Fame GM Bill Polian, co-founder of the Alliance of American Football. And this, well, this is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We're almost out of time, so you know what that means. That's the two-minute warning. Yes, sir, it's a two-minute drill with Rick asking this week's questions. Gooseman, take it away. Which quarterback moves you like better? Tannehill to the Titans or Bortles to the Rams? Bortles, because he won't play. Neither I like the Amish rifle to Miami. At least that gun is sometimes loaded. Speaking of the Amish rifle, does he solve Miami's quarterback woes? No, but he can help them tank for Tua. An AK-47 or an AR-15 couldn't solve their quarterback woes. <laughs> Russell Wilson wants to be the highest paid quarterback in NFL history. Is he worth it? He is now. He's not, but when did that ever matter? <laughs> the Bengals said goodbye to Vontez Burfecht. So what's his legacy in the city, in Cincinnati? He's NFL's answer to the NHL goon. <laughs> Hall, of Fame, uh, Hall of Fame member of the NFL Parole Board. Tyler Murray, Bill Murray, or Eddie Murray? Murray the K, fifth Beatle. <laughs> Kyler Murray, he's the one with more future than past. 
at his passing. Coming up, it's all things equal for the Vernal Equinox. That's right, the Vernal Equinox. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. A couple of interesting developments out there that I saw over the past few days. One was the retirement of defensive tackle Haloti Nada. And two, ESPN reportedly is reaching out to Peyton Manning for its Monday night telecast. So let's just start with Nada first. Um, now that he's retired... <laughs> You guys know someone's going to be calling for him to make the Hall of Fame. Goose, is that someone going to be you? Well, if Big Daddy Lipscomb, Alex Karras, and Joe Klecko can't get in, there's no point even bringing up Nana. You know, this committee hasn't always been fair in its judgment of defensive tackles, as Richard Seymour can attest. And the Hall has become a cybermetric society, and without sack members, it's tough for defensive tackles to get a bust. I'll take that as a no goose, man. Ron, <laughs> what is this guy's legacy? I think the Hall of pretty good. You know, a couple of All-Pro seasons, a couple of Pro Bowl seasons. Uh, but look, the, the guy was no Fred Smurlis, let alone Curly Culp. I mean, he was a good player on some good teams. Uh, and he was briefly a great player, but a Hall of Famer? I mean, why are we having this conversation? Because I asked you. That's why. Oh, true. <laughs> that would be the only reason. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to Manning. Uh, he is going to be in the Hall, and he'll be there in two years. But ESPN reportedly wants him in its Monday night booth now. So, Ron, tell me why or, or why not. That's a good idea. Well, he's funny. He has great comedic timing, and he certainly understands pro football a hell of a lot better than uh, most people they've put in those booths. Now, does that mean he's going to be able to shine uh, and convert the way uh, Tony Romo, for example, has? Uh, you know, you never know until they turn the lights on. Uh, and let's face it, when the lights were the brightest on Peyton Manning, he wasn't so great. So we'll see what happens. Ron, this makes no sense for Manning. Tony Romo, a lesser player, walked into a much better gig with that lead chair at NBC. ESPN no longer gets the marquee games. So I don't see how that serves Peyton Manning's brand to be working a Bengals-Titans game in October. <laughs> That's a good point. So, Goose, let's say he turns this down. Where, where do you think he is in, say, I don't know, five, ten years, other than Canton, of course? Uh, America's spokesman. <laughs> How about you, Ron? He'll be Mr. Coffee, like the, he'll take over for Joe DiMaggio, <laughs> Mr. Coffee. Is he still going to be playing with Brad Paisley? I hope not. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, we'll just stay tuned on this one. But I agree with you, Goose. It makes no sense for him. Uh, he's got all sorts of opportunities. Anyway, let's move on to what's around us. Yeah, because I'm out here in the great outdoors. It's spring everywhere. I guess it's somewhere where Goose is, but the spring everywhere. And this week we have the vernal equinox. That's right, vernal as in spring equinox, which means there's almost exactly as much sunlight as there is darkness. On that one day, it happens only twice a year, so we thought it was worth celebrating. You know what? It is, with a nod toward all things being equal. So because we love to play games around here, I'm going to play our Vernal Equinox game with the two of you. I'll ask you a question, you'll respond, and then we'll move on to, guess what? The next question's pretty easy. Best of all, there are no wrong answers, none. So, Ron, you got to like that. Here we I go. Do like, it's my only chance to pass. <laughs> That's right. This is a pass-fail course, and you're guaranteed to pass. Goodman, we'll start with you. All things being equal, where should Odell Beckham Jr. have wound up? In New Orleans, back home in Louisiana, catching passes from Drew Brees. Ron, yeah. what say you? Well, he's already in purgatory, so what comes next? It depends on your <laughs> sins. <laughs> 
Okay, Ron. All things being equal, what should Pittsburgh have gotten for Antonio Brown? Uh, whatever they could, which is exactly what they got, and, and which is never enough for most people because they always think they're worth more than they really are. That's called fantasy football. Who's been? A first-round pick. A first-round pick from the Raiders. Okay, Goose, all things being equal, what are the chances that Gronk, that would be Rob Gronkowski, retires this offseason? Zero. If Brady's not done, Gronk's not done. Ronnie? I'd say the chances are equal. He doesn't know what he's going to do on Friday, so how's he going to, how's somebody else going to know what he's doing? But my guess is he plays unless they try to squeeze him on the money or they try to trade him, and then he walks, or more likely limps away. Okay, Ron, all things being equal, who drafts Kyler Murray? Arizona, if he turns into a player. The Jets, if he doesn't. <laughs> You're following that Lamp Jones theme here. Gooseman, who drafts Kyler Murray? Denver. If he's going to be a great quarterback, there's no better place to be great than Denver. Okay. Goose, you're next up. All things being equal, what would you do with Tyreek Hill? If he's innocent, play him. If he's guilty, set him for a year. Ron, all things being equal, what would get him you some do help of the non-football kind before he ruins his own life and someone else's. Okay, Ron. That was an easy answer for you. This one will be a little more difficult. Okay. All things being equal, what are the chances you or I get to Canton before the Amish rifle, Ryan Fitzpatrick? Never bet against the Amish rifle. He is Fitz <laughs> Magic, and we are not. So what are the chances? <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> I would say there's a 100% chance he gets there before us, but a 0% chance that he gets there. So what's that say about us? <laughs> well, that's what I mean. <laughs> okay, Goose, all things being equal, what are the chances? Ron, all right, get scanned before Ryan Fitzpatrick. If it comes down to the best beard, you guys have no shot. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to throw in one bonus one here. What are the chances that the Talk of Fame Network out-earns Bryce Harper or Mike Trout in the next 10 years? Ron? Oh, please, God. <laughs> I hope you're right. That would be difficult. <laughs> Goose? Forget the money. I'll bet the deep under on, on the years. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for playing. <laughs> and you know what? Here's someone who made it to West Ken. Yeah, he made it to Ken before Ron, me, and the Amish rifle. And that's Dr. Data, our Rick Goslin. Canton class of 2004 with some advice for the Arizona Cardinals in this year's draft. Doc, the floor is yours. Well, the Arizona Cardinals, as we know, own the first overall pick of the 2019 draft, and it's a piece of gold, right? You get to choose the best player on the draft board or trade it away for a bushel of high draft picks. But how impactful is that first overall pick to a franchise? Peyton Manning was the first overall pick in the 1998 NFL draft, and he went on to win five NFL MVP awards and two Super Bowls. Peyton was certainly worthy of his selection. But there have been 20 players selected first overall since Manning. Only three ever reached the Super Bowl, and only one won it when he got there. And that's Peyton's little brother, Eli, and he did it twice. Cam Newton was the first overall pick in 2011, and he has since quarterbacked the Carolina Panthers to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff went first overall in 2016, and he quarterbacked the Rams to a Super Bowl last February. 
So how much impact can a first overall pick have on a team? Michael Vick had his moments, as they have Andrew Luck and Matthew Stafford, and maybe Baker Mayfield will have a future impact in Cleveland. But the string of disappointments is a long one. Tim Couch, Courtney Brown, David Carr, Demarcus Russell, Sam Bradford, Jameis Winston. The risk almost, the risk almost seems greater than the reward. You expect Hall of Fame value when you make that first overall pick. But only 13 of the 89 players selected first overall wound up with Bust and Can. Quite frankly, you have a better chance of selecting a Hall of Famer with four picks than you do with just the one. So here's my advice to Cardinals GM Steve Kime. Trade out. That guarantees quantity. The first overall pick does not always guarantee quality. So goes look every every draft produces some Hall of Famers. I think without failure. So would you have the number one choice? How can they miss so often? I think a lot of times they're drafting out of need that they want the quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, you can never stop looking for one. And I think that they force a lot of quarterbacks out there that really don't belong. But the team need and the fan base, the fan base wants a quarterback, they can say, here's our guy. And that's why you end up with, with a Jamarcus Russell going one and a Tim Couch going one and a David Carr going one. Nice players, but, but not franchise quarterbacks, not Hall of Famers, but they were perceived as that by the drafters. And that's why they miss so often. And I think the, the board is always skewed to quarterbacks. And that's a big reason why they miss. Some of the quarterbacks are not Hall of Famers. Does this mean you're a Josh Rosen fan? Uh, trade for him? No, I, 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 I'm sick of Rosen, yeah. I, I think there's okay. less risk of Rosen than there is Kyler Murray right now. Okay. Well, thanks, Doc. I suddenly feel a whole lot smarter. Anyway, up next, it's more Goose with his all-NFL Arizona State team. I wonder if there's going to be a Danny White sighting. guess you're going to have to stay tuned. This is the Talk Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, I forgot to mention that it's not only spring that we have this week, it's also the start of the NCAA basketball tournament, otherwise known as, yep, you got it, March Madness. And Goose, uh, I don't know if you're in a basketball pool or not, but if you are, I think I have an idea who you're taking. Robert, could you strike up the spark? marching band? Who are you taking, Goose? Well, the NCAA did my boys no favors by seating him in the same bracket with Duke. Now, Michigan State coach Tom Izzo, a Hall of Famers, 1-11 all-time versus Mike Krzyzewski. But hey, when you're the number five team in the country, you won both the regular and tournament championships in basketball's toughest conference. You deserve a bit more respect from the NCAA committee. Jesus. Oh, Ron, that sounds like a complaint. Sounds it? like a little bit of a little bit of crying. One yeah. eleven. You guys, hang, you guys hang with Yale, okay? Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm hanging with Yale. I'm going to tell you, I'm hanging with Yale, and I may hang with Yale. Hey, Ron, do you get in pools? Do you get where do you fill out brackets? Do you do any of that stuff? I only get in pools that are filled with water. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> well, we have a family pool. It's not filled with water. It's a bracket that my brother runs, but you know what? I kid was like you. I jumped out last year. And the reason was, I discovered that all I was doing was contributing to his kid's college scholarship. So not only, I could never win, and, and I could never come close. So I took that money, and I did something with it. I invested it in my next lunch at Burger King. Good move. There you go. 
Which understands why you're a big fan of Yale in this tournament. Oh, man. Oh, just ripping the Eli, Ron. Wow. Jeez. I I know you're not an Eli guy, Ron, but who do you like? I mean, give me someone other than Duke or Michigan State. Well, uh, I like Virginia because just based on what happened last year, I think the revenge factor has got to be huge for them. You know, they got knocked out in the first round, totally unexpected. Uh, they're they're uh, uh, one top seeded team this this year. They got a lot of talent, and they've got to be focused and pretty pissed off about what happened. Can you say pissed off in the radio? I think you can. You can. Yeah, go uh, ahead. And say so it. they got to be. I say it then. Yep. They got to be pretty pissed off about what happened last year, and I would think they'd go in there with a, uh, you know, with a laser focus, as NFL coaches like to say. Ron, as a coach once told me, it's better to be pissed off than pissed on, right? <laughs> exactly right. Well, okay. all I know, Goose, is I'm going to be in a sports bar Thursday. And your guess which that? game I'm going to be watching. Does your wife, is she aware of that? She is. She's going to be there with me. What oh, game okay. are we watching, Goose? Spartans. No. We're watching Spartans. Yale and LSU. We're watching Yale. Oh, well, watching you won't be watching for long. That should take that, about eight that, minutes. That, well, you actually have to game? go to class. To get to play. Play <laughs> oh man! And we're gonna tell you something. These guys are better than you realize. I know they should beat LSU, but you know what? Wouldn't surprise me if they did. Anyway, that's enough of that. Um, okay, let's go to ASU, Arizona State. They're not in anyone's bracket. Not that I know of, but that doesn't mean we're going to ignore the Sun Devils because we won't, and we didn't. Not this week. Uh, uh-uh, not on our website. That'd be talkoffamenetwork.com. When our Rick Gossett, I guess that'd be Michigan State's Rick Gossett until they face Duke, of course. He picked his ASU All NFL team. And Goose, I think this is the fourth installment of a series of schools that you've profiled uh, this late this winter, so last four weeks. We've had, let's see, Nebraska, University of Pittsburgh, Wisconsin, and now we've got ASU. Um, legitimate question here, and a serious question. How do you choose these teams, and how difficult is it? Well, for some schools, the process is simple. You list the 25 positions on the team, and you start filling in the blanks first with the Hall of Famers, and you find the all-decade players, and you find the Pro Bowl players, and whatever's left, you, you, you kind of scour the, the, the draft, the, the past drafts, you know, for 100 years to find productive players and contributors. It, it can be time-consuming, but it's a fun task. God, it sounds like a long task. I mean, it sounds, that sounds pretty difficult, honestly. Yeah, it takes about uh, 60, 90 minutes of school. Well, what's been the tough, toughest call for you so far? I mean, it, let's just talk about ASU. What was the toughest call here with uh, ASU? Well, you find positions at certain schools that are just loaded. You know, Penn State always has linebackers, Wisconsin offensive linemen, uh, Miami tight ends, Michigan State wide receivers. You know, for Arizona State, it's defensive backs. Mm-hmm. You got Mike Haynes and Eric Allen at the corners. That's 100 NFL interceptions right there. And you put five-time Pro Bowler Darren Woodson, three-time Pro Bowler David Falcher behind him at safety. You're leaving off Mike Richardson and Craig Newsom, who both started Super Bowls at corner. Adam Archuleta started uh, Super Bowl at a safety. A lot of good players. Not all the best players at a school make this team. So when do we get Dartmouth's all Talk of Fame Network team? Well, <laughs> sadly, in your seat on this show, you're the best quarterback ever to come to Dartmouth. What a thought. Back. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> <laughs> First one off the board. That's great. Hey, Ron, yes. if you look at this team, and I know you did. I did. He chose Jake Plummer over Danny White at quarterback. Though, let's let's face it, he did put Danny White in as a punter. But are you good with that? I mean, Jake's friend of the show. We know that. But Danny White? Come on. I am good with that. You know, White was good, but at his best, I think Plummer was better. Plus, 
Uh, you got a punter who can also take Plummer's spot when he decides to move to I, uh, Idaho or wherever he decides to go in the middle of the season. You know, he's, I've, I've had enough. We got Danny White, so it's a, I thought it was a good pick. You know, people forget how good he was. You know, uh, Jake Plummer when he was really you know running around Jake the Snake and all that. Uh, and, you know, and then he would lose his mind. But when he didn't, he could make some plays. That guy. Well, you know, one thing I didn't get. He took Denver to the conference championship game. Remember against Pittsburgh and they lost. He did. And what they do the next year? They drafted. Jay Cutler, basically right. saying to him, that's yeah. it. I mean, and I, I, don't, I was never sure why Shanahan did that. I guess he basically said, we can't go any farther with this guy. But <laughs> they didn't go anywhere near that with Jay Cutler. Well, I think Danny White, he goes to Dallas. He goes to a great football team. Jake Plummer went to a terrible football team. And Danny White did, you know, he took him a couple of conference title games. But uh, he was surrounded by great players. Whatever Jake Plummer did at Arizona, he did on his own. Yeah, but Goosey, he was the Cowboys quarterback, so I thought you showed remarkable restraint by choosing Jake Blum over Danny White. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I was able to, I put him on because I, I got I got him on the roster as a punter. He can still be a back quarterback, but at least he's on the field as one of the 25. Yeah, okay. Well, um, Ron, let's go to those four teams I mentioned he's chosen. This is one of them. Um, which one of those four would you like to take with you into the next Super Bowl? Yeah, the next, which may be the next Super Bowl, period against New England. Pitt. Pitt, that team was loaded, man. I mean, you start off with Dan Marino at at, uh, at quarterback and Tony Dursett at running back. Uh, you know, you got Hugh Green out there running around killing quarterbacks. I mean, that team was loaded, I think. You know, Fralick in the, along the offensive line, I mean, that was a, a really interesting team. And if I remember right, uh, Gooseman, I believe that blew the roof off of our website coverage. I mean, guys That's at Vermont Brothers were loving that team. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Goose, it sounds to me like you would want to take this team, ASU team, against New England because of all the uh, defensive backs that were on it. You, you need the DBs against um, uh, the Patriots, but I, I, I'm with Ron. The, the two most important positions on the field are quarterback and, and pass rusher. And you got Dan Marino quarterback, and you got Ricky Jackson, uh, Chris Dolman, and Aaron Donald rushing the quarterback. I'll take my chances with that tandem. That's pretty good. Okay. Um, I asked you about earlier the, the uh, toughest position for you to call here. What was the easiest one for you to call? I think it's not the tackle, especially no tackle. I mean, Curly Culp was the greatest ever to line up there in the NFL. So that was that, that was Pennsylvania Hall of Famer. Um, you know, like the best nose tackle all decade. Boom. That was easy. Ron, he did not say Mike Haynes. Well, you know, we love the Goose Man, but even he, even Dr. Data makes a mistake once in a while. Mike Haynes was as great a cornerback as I ever saw, and in my mind, as great as anyone who ever played the game. He had everything Deion Sanders had except one thing. He didn't have the beat-your-chest gene. But that guy could do anything, including return kicks. Everybody forgets what a great return man he was early in his uh, career. And he also would do something that, that uh, Deion the Great would not do, which is put an opponent on the ground. I mean, <laughs> Mike right. Haynes was just a great, great. So where, did, where does he rank among Clark, your all-time Clark. NFL cornerbacks? He's right up there at the top. I don't know who's better. Uh, oh, really. Clark, Clark he's ne- the man has never seen Night Train Lane play. It's too bad. He, he missed a great chapter. In I did see Night Train Lane play. But they was playing when, when all the receivers were white. Doesn't count. <laughs> when Night Train Lane put them down, they didn't get up. Well, that's true. That's true. The rules were different then. You could actually hit somebody. And I think he had 20 rules. interceptions, Mike Haynes. So. Yeah, so the rules were different. Yeah, he had 14 in one season. My God. Um, Gooseman. So, uh, uh, and that was in a – yeah, that was in a, it wasn't in a 16-game season either. 12-game um, season. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, of course, they were throwing a watermelon around at that time instead of a football, but that's all right. <laughs> I saw you the watermelon. See night train lane. You saw the watermelons they were throwing around. Hey, uh, Goose, I, I, I was knocking you for Danny White, but you did get former Cowboy Darren Woodson on that team at safety. Um, legitimate question here, too. Honest question. Serious question. When do we see him in Canton, if we ever see him in Canton? Well, two safeties in this year's class was a start. A couple more classes with two safeties, and, and, and Woodson's name might come up. There's a lot of guys in the queue right now, Adam. And what do you think, Ron? Darren um, well, Woodson, Hall of Famer. I mean, what, what do you think about? What, what I, mean, I, th- I think you know he, he's certainly a, a guy deserves to be. He should have been considered uh, long before this. You know what you worry about with the passage of time, of course, is that and they forget you completely. You know, yeah, right. You're yelling about Troy. Polamalu and, and uh, guys like that. And, and Goose, what do you think is holding him back? The Q. I mean, I, where's Leroy Butler? Yeah, but I know, but, he, but he, he, hasn't, he hasn't been a finalist for. I mean, he, it took him forever to get in there. What was holding him back? Because first it was safety, so we couldn't get in there, and now we're putting a safety in every year. It seems like. But um, what's holding this guy back? Because I know you're very high on him. You're very high on him. He wasn't an all-decade player, and that's in 60, what, 68% of all the players in Canton were all-decade, and that's, that, that works against you. He's got the rings, certainly. Yeah. I, I think he should have been all-decade over Ronnie Lott in the 1990s, frankly. Mm, yeah, well, especially because those, those two safeties are first-team all-decade from the 1990s. They can't get a sniff either. I mean, we're still in. waiting on exactly. it. Yeah, can't get in. That's the problem. Uh, Goose, thanks. Really appreciate it. Next week we have, let me see, uh, we got Syracuse. Whoa. Just a guess here, Ron. Uh, I think we're going to have an all-star backfield with Syracuse, huh? Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> wow. All of Wow, that's be terrific. Anyway, speaking of backfields, an all-star backfields, we got one of the greatest in any backfield coming up. That's from our running back, Billy Sims. You're listening to Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Billy Sims was Adrian Peterson before Adrian Peterson, Oklahoma, and Barry Sanders before Barry Sanders in Detroit. A Heisman Trophy winning running back at Oklahoma, Sims became the first overall selection of the 1980 draft by the Detroit Lions and immediately proved worthy of the pick. He rushed for 1,300 yards on his way to NFL Rookie of the Year honors and went to the Pro Bowl each of his first three seasons. He was on a Hall of Fame track until suffering a career-ending knee injury midway through his fifth season. So he spent two years rehabilitating his knee with hopes of returning to the field but never made it back. But Billy has agreed to visit with us today to discuss his career. So, Billy Sims, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Okay, Billy, let's start with a two-part question. How often have you replayed your final NFL carry in your mind and you were on a Hall of Fame track? How often do you wonder what might have been? <laughs> not, well, believe it or not, not really too often, but uh, only when people, you know, I'm around somebody bringing it up. But uh, really my background is I was more of a baseball guy because I'm from St. Louis, Missouri by birth. But I was raised in Texas by my grandparents in Hooks, Texas, which is east of Dallas. And... Uh, Really didn't start playing football until the 10th grade. I was mostly a baseball guy, believe it or not. Living in St. Louis, the Cardinals, I'm still a big Cardinals fan to this day. Uh, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Helena Cepeda, Kirk Flood. That's where I got the number 20 for him from was Kirk Flood, actually. Yeah. And uh, huh. 
So I thought I was going to be a, a pitcher one day. I was a left-handed pitcher, played center field, and uh, of course all that changed when I came to Texas because everybody was playing football in Texas, and I didn't want to play because I was scared of getting hit, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you rushed for 1,800 yards in your Heisman uh, Trophy winning season and 1,400 yards in your best NFL season. Uh, you obviously made the transition look easy from college to the pros. Was it as easy a transition as you made it look, Billy? No, not really. You know, uh, without supporting cast or guys, plus in college, you know, the offense was different. Terminology was different. Once I got to the NFL, it was definitely different. And uh, I can never, never will forget when I, Scout, because I didn't have, I didn't go to a combine back then. They didn't have the combine. He came and I worked me out there in Norman, Oklahoma. We ran up out of the stadium. I had my warm-ups on, and he was clocking me. And uh, you know, I was four 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 five four 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 five. And I told him, I said, let me take my warm-ups off. I think I can get a better time. He said, well, don't even worry about that. We're not going to trade you anyway. You did good. So that was it. That was my, that was my combine. <laughs> hey, Billy, I was, I, I was on the Big 8 Skywriters in 1978, and on our visit to Norman, when we talked to you, we noticed on the front of your helmet with the initials HT, we all assumed that the HT meant Heisman Trophy, but we assumed wrong, didn't we? Yes, you did. That's there for Hooks, Texas. <laughs> but, but don't feel bad because even Coach Swartzer thought it meant high trophy. I said, no, Coach, that's for Hooks, Texas. <laughs> uh, you, you know, obviously, you played in the wishbone at, at Oklahoma. Uh, I think he caught uh, one pass uh, in college <laughs> on a team that threw only 100 passes. Uh, was there any. Con- any concerns voiced by NFL guys about your ability to fit into the passing game, or do they know that you were just going to be lugging the football? Well, you know, uh, when they came out, that was one of the biggest uh, things. Was they didn't know if I could catch the ball or not. I said, well, I caught two, one in high school and one in college, so I, I think I was pretty good at it. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, it gave me another weapon that I'd never seen or had before. And uh, believe it or not, my rookie year, I became the second all-time, well, not all-time, but the second leading receiver on the team. Now, I love it coming out of the backfield, you know, get the matchup one-on-one with the linebacker or defensive back. Most of the time, I would win those. So they figured out real early that I could catch the ball. Billy, you mentioned Hawks. To say you were a schoolboy legend is a bit of an understatement. You rushed for 38 consecutive 100-yard games, which to this day remains a Texas State record. You had one season when you rushed for almost 4,000 yards. So how did all those Southwest Conference schools in Texas let you escape Oklahoma? <laughs> well, you know, really, as a kid, because uh, Hooks was over there by Texarkana, which in that area is a lot of Razorback fans and Texas A&M fans. And I really didn't have a favorite team, because mostly all the time I would watch baseball. I still had this niche about being a pitcher one day for the St. Louis Cardinals. And back in those days, you could take many visits that you wanted, but I took five visits because on the weekend I would be working at the gas station. And uh, actually, I had already committed to Baylor. So I thought I was going to Baylor because I think that year, 73, 74, I think they upset Texas. They beat Texas or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother fell in love with a great guy, Coach Tab. So I was just going because my grandmother liked Coach Tab. And uh, I visited, of course, Arkansas and the University of Texas and had the first time to meet the great Bob Lilly, uh, when I went to TCU, 
And my last visit was Oklahoma. And at that time, I thought Oklahoma normally was so far from Hooks. I said, no, I'm going to go ahead and commit and go to Baylor because it was a lot closer to Hooks. And uh, my last visit was Oklahoma. I decided to go because at that time, my baseball coach was from Oklahoma and a big Sooner fan. So I go up there and visit. OU had just won the national championship in 74. And they had a lot of Texas players on the team. I didn't realize they had all these Texas guys on the team. Of course, Coach Swisher saw that, and he took advantage of it. We said, oh, yeah, we recruit Texas all the time. I said, well, Coach, I had a great visit, but I'm going to go on to Baylor. He said, well, I understand. He said, but before you go, he's recruiting me all the time, but I don't know this. <laughs> he said, before you, before you go home, I want you to meet my family. I said, okay. At that time, he had three kids. Still do, but they're always young men. Well, I get to his house, and they all run out with number 20 on their jerseys. I'm like, Wow. <laughs> He said, oh, yeah, Billy, they're already selling your number 20 up here already. I said, really? I'm thinking I got the only number 20, you know. <laughs> and uh, one thing led to another. Well, that following weekend, you know I pumped gas, work at the gas station on the weekend. They was playing it. This true story, because he had this in his bootleg book he had out years yeah. ago. Uh, he called me from the game at halftime. And my coworker come out there and tell me this. I'm thinking they're playing a joke on me, you know, because I was listening to the game on the radio. Because where Hooks is, we're not that really that far from Ida Bell, Oklahoma, if you think about it, so, so I could get the game. And I said, well, Coach, I know you get the game. He said, oh, yeah, we're kicking that shit. And I didn't have anything to tell my players. But I was thinking about you. Now, this is when we had the pay phone. A lot of folks don't know about the pay phone, but I do. And, uh... He said, what you doing? I said, I'm just working, coach. He said, well, I've been to thinking. He said, if you recommit and come to this great University of Oklahoma, I'm going to promise you two things. I said, okay, what's that, coach? Well, he pulled a grand grandmother card on me. He said, first of all, I'm going to make sure you're going to get your degree and graduate, which I did. And two, you're going to win the Heisman Trophy, which I did. <laughs> True story. Good story. <laughs> True story. But come to find out, all the other guys he told the same story to. So we have a <laughs> he, he was he was Oprah before Oprah. You gonna win a high school. You gonna win a high school. You gonna win a high school. Everybody's winning high trophies at that time. Because if, if you remember the t they used to have what they call the top blue chippers. I know you remember this. Sure. Right, yeah. And at that time I think fourteen out of eighteen of us went to Oklahoma. You had wow. you had the great Kenny King from West Texas out there. Sure. Uh, so so they were loaded again, and uh, of course I ended up changing my mind and, and uh, never looked back. Of course, hmm. Grant Taft was mad at me for a while because I used <laughs> to see him out in public in different things. What a great guy! And most of all, it took a long time for my grandmother to get over that. What what was it like playing for Barry Switzer? I mean, you know, you look from the outside, you know, he's, he's funny, he's all sort of things. But my, I imagine he's probably a lot tougher than, than we know. What was it like playing for Oh, yeah. Well, not not even that. But we still have a strong connection to this day, 40-something years later. Not just me. If you ask 100 players, not 99 of them would take a bullet for him. I'm one of them. Uh, he's just that type of guy. Family wouldn't take it. Uh, have helped a lot of guys, young football. And the main thing, 
that lasts with me to this day. I'm, I'm, I'll be 64 in September. Is that when your playing days are over with, the crowds are gone, I'm going to still be in your corner. And not just me. If you talk to 100 guys, 99 of them are going to tell you the same thing. And I probably see or talk to Coach Swiss at least a couple times a month. I always have uh, been in touch with him or been around him, even to this day. You know, you wore, of course, number 20 with the Lions, and so did uh, uh, Hall of Famers Lem Barney and, and Barry Sanders. No one else? Oh, yeah. No one else ever going to wear that number again in Detroit. So did they retire your number, or did they retire Barry Sanders' number? <laughs> or Lem Barney, because he had it first. You know, he's a seven-eight. I, I was a Hall of Famer, all pro. Uh, I think uh, it was retired because we I was at the ceremony with Lem and Barry. So it, all three of the numbers were retired because of what we uh, did for the Lions. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, uh, come next month, I'm going to be uh, announcing a first-round pick. I'll be there at the draft. Oh, cool. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Billy, is there a special bond between uh, Lem and you and Barry? Oh, yeah, yeah. I see Barry quite often. Uh, actually, I have a restaurant in Ford Field there, so I see Barry a lot. We uh, watch the game together and a lot of other former players. So uh, I knew back when uh, – Barry came out of college. He was a can't miss type of player, and uh, at that time, uh, the head uh, the head coach was uh, I think uh, uh, what was the head coach of the Lions at that time when, when Barry came. Wayne Fonts. Wayne Fonts. Yeah, Wayne Fonts from Tampa Bay. See, Wayne Wayne was there my 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 last year. I was rehabbing in '85. He was a defensive back coach. And uh, when he became head coach, when Barry came available, I called him. I said, you guys don't draft him. You, you're missing out on a great opportunity. So I think uh, I think they were looking at Dion or somebody else, not Barry Sanders. But he definitely took that number 20 to a different level. So I see Barry quite often from time to time. And uh, he's still coming back to Oklahoma from time to time on some business ventures. So who was the better back in his prime, you or Barry Sanders? I always say Barry was, even though uh, – and I had the pleasure of watching his career, being at games uh, when I had retired. The things he did to uh, his opponent was incredible. And one other thing, in your rookie year, you caught 52 passes. Did you surprise oh. the NFL or did you surprise yourself more? <laughs> I was surprised myself, really. <laughs> 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 well, because the pass and the pass routes, you know, I found yeah, that was easy than the option. Because when you run an option, the pitch may land anywhere. And you yeah, got to be yeah. in the right place at the right time. But with a pass route, you know you know where you're going. The quarterback knows you're going. You go there, you know, five out, five in, or whatever, 10, 15. And uh, the ball should be there. But with an option, you never know where the ball is going to be sometimes. Yeah. All right. Well, Billy, thanks for joining us. And, and good luck with all your barbecue restaurants. And I know I, for one, am anxious to have that Heisman burger. <laughs> well, pretty good. Actually, the closest one I got to Dallas is in Durant, Oklahoma, past the casino up there. So if you're ever there, and also Walmart carry my barbecue sauce in the area. Really? There we go. <laughs> Build a restaurant down here. Well, we're working on that as you speak. We're working on it. Build one in Hooks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I had one in Texarkana. Oh, this okay. is a lot bigger than Hooks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Bill, we appreciate it. Thanks, okay, Bill. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. Bye now. Thanks, Bill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're just about the finish line, so let's hear it, Robert. That's the two-minute warning. Yes, sir, that means we're on to the two-minute drill again, so hit it, Gooseman. What's the sign tackle Eric Flowers? What did the Redskins see in him that the Giants missed? They thought he was a quarterback. <laughs> they saw a dream that's soon to become their nightmare. Who had the better retirement in Austin? Jared Allen riding off into the sunset on a horse or a loading Nada from the top Mount Kilimanjaro? Nada, because he was high. Yes, Alodi lifted retirement to an all-time high. <laughs> San Antonio of the Alliance owned the rights to Johnny Manziel, but didn't want it, so he signed with Memphis. Does his stock continue to plummet, or can we expect an Elvis-like resurrection in Memphis? We can expect an Elvis-like rendition of It's Now or Never. Oh, God. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, my ears. Elvis has left the building, and Johnny has left the game. Max Unger, Gary Unger, or Max Schuster? Max Bear Jr., a.k.a. Jethro Bodine. Wee doggies. Carl Max, I'm from Boston. Gary Unger, hands down. Joe Flacco says he understands it, what it is to be a Broncos quarterback. After Brock Osweiler and Case Keenum, what exactly is that? Uh, somebody is better throwing snowballs than football. That is known as disappearing in the long shadow of John Elway. Sam Bradford has earned $129 million in his career and doesn't have a single playoff win to show up for his earnings. Will he ever take another snap in the NFL? And does he ever need to take another snap in the NFL? No and no. He should invest in the Talk of Fame Network. All he needs is two things. A great financial planner and a confessional to go because stealing violates the Eighth Commandment. <laughs> How much do you miss Joe Buckbaum at this time of year? You know what, Goosman? I miss him more at Christmas when we sing the first Joel. I miss him because that draft book was the holy grail of the gridiron. Love that book. Montez Sweet, who projects as a top 10 pick in the upcoming draft as an edge rusher, has a hard issue detected at the NFL Combine. How much will that hurt his draft stock? A lot, especially if they can't find one. <laughs> it ain't going to help, but someone will take a chance. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, go to our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. Thanks for listening.